Hey guys, this is Danita Platt with Platt Family, and you're listening to our podcast, School in the Wild. This is reading five from volume one of Charlotte Mason's home education series. We are going to start at Offending the Children, which is in part one, and we're going to continue through Hindering the Children. Offending the Children. Offenses. The first and second of the divine edicts appear to include our sins of commission and of omission. Against the children, we offend them when we do by them that which we ought not to have done. We despise them when we leave undone those things which, for their sakes, we ought to have done. An offense, we know, is literally a stumbling block, that which trips up the walker and causes him to fall. Mothers know what it is to clear the floor of every obstacle when the baby takes his unsteady little runs from chair to chair, from one pair of loving arms to another. The table leg, the child's toy on the floor, which has caused a fall and a pitiful cry, is a thing to be deplored. Why did not somebody put it out of the way so the baby should not stumble? But the little child is going out into the world with uncertain, tottering steps in many directions. There are causes of stumbling not so easy to remove as an offending footstool. And woe to him who causes the child to fall. Children are born law-abiding. Naughty baby, says the mother and the child's eyes droop and a flush rises over neck and brow. It is very wonderful, very funny, some people think, and say, naughty baby, when the baby is sweetly good to amuse themselves with the sight of the infant soul rising visibly before their eyes. But what does it mean, this display of feeling, conscious in the child before any human teaching can have can have reached him no less than this he is born a law abiding a law abiding being with a sense of may and must not of right and wrong that is how children are sent into the world with the warning take heed that ye fin not of these little ones and this being so who has not met Big girls and boys, the children of right-minded parents who yet do not know what must means, who are not moved by ought, whose hearts feel no stir at the solemn name of duty, who know no higher rule of life than I want and I don't want, I like and I don't like, Heaven help parents and children when it has come to that. But how has it been brought about that the babe, with an acute sense of right and wrong, even when it can understand little of human speech, should grow into the boy or girl already proving the curse of the lawless heart? By slow degrees, here a little, there a little, as all that is good or bad in character comes to pass. Naughty, says the mother, 
again when a little hand is thrust into the sugar bowl and when a pair of roguish eyes seeks her furtively to measure as they do unerringly how far the little pilferer may go it is very amusing the mother cannot help laughing and the little trespass is allowed to pass and what the poor mother has not thought of an offense a cause of stumbling has been cast into the path of her two-year-old child he has learned already that which is naughty may yet be done with some impunity and he does go on improving his knowledge it is needless to continue everybody knows the steps by which the mother's no becomes to be comes to be disregarded her refusal teased into consent the child has learned to believe that he has nothing to overcome but his mother's disinclination if she chose to let him do this and that there is no reason why she should not he can make her choose to let him do the next forbidden thing and then he may do it the next step in the argument is not too great for childish wits if his mother does what does what she chooses of course he will do what he chooses if he can and henceforth the child's life becomes an endless struggle to get his own way a struggle in which a parent is pretty sure to be worsted having many things to think of while the child sticks persistently to the thing which has his fancy for the moment they must perceive that their governors are law compelled where is the beginning of this tangle spoiling the lives of parent and child alike alike in this that the mother began with no sufficient sense of duty she thought herself free to allow and disallow to say and unsay at pleasure as if the child were hers to do what she liked to do what she liked with the child has never discovered a background of must behind his mother's decisions he does not know that she must not let him break his sister's playthings gorge himself with cake spoil the pleasures of other people because of these because these things are not right let the child perceive that his parents are law compelled as well as he that they simply cannot allow him to do the things which have been forbidden and he submits with sweet meekness which belongs to his age to give reason to a child is usually out of place and is a sacrifice of parental dignity but he is all quick enough to read the must and ought which rule her in his mother's face and manner and in the fact that she is not to be moved from a resolution on any question of right and wrong parents may offend their children by disregarding the laws of health this of allowing him in what is wrong is only one of the many ways in which the loving mother may offend her child through ignorance or willfulness which is worse 
she may not only allow him in wrong, but do wrong by him. She may cast a stumbling block in the way of physical life by giving him unwholesome food, letting him sleep and live in ill-ventilated rooms, by disregarding any or every of the simple laws of health, ignorance of which is hardly to be excused in the face of the pains taken by scientific men to bring this necessary knowledge within reach of everyone. And the intellectual life. Almost as bad as the way the child's intellectual life may be wrecked at its outset by a round of dreary, dawdling lessons in which um, definite progress is the last thing made or expected, and which, so far from educating in any true sense, stultify his wits in a way he never gets over. Many a little girl, especially, leaves the home school room with a distaste for all manner of learning an aversion to mental effort, which lasts her lifetime. And that is why she grows up to read little, to read little but trashy novels and to talk all day about her clothes. And of the moral life and her affections, the movements of the outgoing tender-hearted, I'm sorry, the movements of the outgoing tender child heart, how are they treated? There are few mothers who do not take pains to cherish the family affections, but when the child comes to have dealings with outsiders, do not worldly maxims and motives ever nip the buds of childish love? Far worse than this happens when the child's love finds no natural outlet within her home when she is the plain or the dull child of the family and she is left out in the cold while the parent's affection is lavished on the rest. Of course, she does not love her brothers and sisters who monopolize what should have been hers too. Nobody knows the real anguish which many children in the nursery suffers from this cause or how many lives are embittered and spoiled through the suppression of these childish affections. My childhood was made miserable, a lady said to me a while ago, by my mother's doting fondness of my little brother. There was not a day when she did not make me wretched by coming into the nursery to fondle and play with him, and all the time she had not a word, nor a look, nor a smile for me any more than if I had not been in the room. I have never gotten over it. She's very kind to me now, but I never feel quite natural with her. And how can we two, brother and sister, feel for each other as we should if we had grown up together in love in the nursery? Despising the children, section four. Children should have the best of their mothers. Suppose that a mother may offend her child. How is it possible that she should not despise him? Despise, to have a low opinion of, to undervalue. Thus the dictionary, and as a matter of fact, however much we may delight in them, we grown-up people have far too low an opinion of children. If the mother did not undervalue her child, 
would she leave him to the society of an ignorant nursemaid during the early years when his whole nature is, like the photographer's sensitive plate, receiving momently indelible impressions? Not but that his nurse is good for the child. Very likely, it would not answer for educated people to have their children always about them. The constant society of his parents might be too stimulating for the child, and frequent change of thought and the society of other people make the mother all the fresher for her children, but they should have the best of their mother. Her freshest, brightest hours, whilst at the same time she is careful to choose her nurses wisely, train them carefully and keep a vigilant eye upon all that goes on in the nursery. Nurse, mere coarseness and rudeness in his nurse does the tender child lasting harm. Many a child leaves the nursery with his moral sense blunted and with an alienation from his heavenly father set up which may last his lifetime. For the child's moral sense is exceedingly quick. He is all eyes and ears for the slightest act or word of unfairness, deception, shiftiness. His nurse says, if you'll be a good boy, I won't tell. And the child learns that things may be concealed from his mother, who should be to him as God, knowing all his good and evil. And it is not as if the child noted the slips of his elders with aversion. He knows better, it is true. But then he does not trust his own intuitions. He shapes his life on any pattern set before him. And with the faint hint of human nature upon him, he is more ready to imitate a bad pattern than a good. Give him a nurse who is coarse, violent, and tricky, and before the child is able to speak plainly, he will have caught these dispositions. Children's faults are serious. One of many ways in which parents are apt to have too low an opinion of their children is in the matter of their faults. A little child shows some ugly trait. He's greedy and gobbles up his sister's share of the goodies as well as his own. He's vindictive, ready to bite or fight the hand that offends him. He tells a lie. No, he did not touch the sugar bowl or the jam pot. The mother puts off the evil day. She knows she must sometime reckon with the child for those offenses. But in the meantime, she says, Oh, it does not matter this time. He is very little and will know better by and by. To put the thing on no higher grounds, what happy days for herself and her children would the mother secure if she would keep watch at the place of the letting out of waters? If the mother settle in her own mind that the child never does wrong without being aware of his wrongdoing, she will see that it is not too young to have his fault corrected or prevented. Deal with a child on his first offense, and a grieving look is enough to convict the little transgressor, but let him go on until a habit of wrongdoing is formed, and the cure is a slow one. 
Then the mother has no chance until she has formed in him a contrary habit of well-doing. To laugh a ugly temper and let them pass because the child is small is to sow to the wind. Section 5, Hindering the Children. A child's relationship with Almighty God. The most fatal way of despising the child falls under the third educational law of the Gospels. It is to overlook and make light of his natural relationship with Almighty God. Suffer the little children to come unto me, says the Savior, as if that were the natural thing for children to do the thing they do when they are not hindered by their elders. And perhaps it is not too beautiful a thing to believe in this redeemed world that as the babe turns to his mother, though he has no power to say her name, as the flowers turn to the sun, so the hearts of the children turn to their Savior and God with unconditional delight and trust. Nursery Theology Now listen to what goes on in many a nursery. God does not love you, you naughty, wicked boy. He will send you to the bad place, the wicked bad place, and so on. This is all the practical teaching about the ways of his almighty lover that the child gets. Never a word of how God does love and cherish the little children all day long and fill their hours with delight. Add to this listless, perfunctory prayers, idle discussions of divine things in their presence, light use of holy words, few signs whereby the child can read that the things of God are more to his parents than any things of the world, and the child is hindered, tacitly forbidden, to come unto me and this often by parents who in the depths of their heart desire nothing in comparison with God this mischief lies in that same foolish undervaluing of children in the notion that the child can have no spiritual life until it please his elders to kindle the flame we're going to stop here the next session section is conditions of healthy brain activity. I'm going to, I think, do a recap of this section. Charlotte talked about so many amazing, amazing things, so many things for us to turn our hearts toward and pay attention to and and trust God to lead us through. Um, so we'll come back with a recap and then we will come back with reading four, reading, reading six, I'm sorry, starting with the conditions of healthy brain activity. I hope you enjoyed and uh, feel free to reach out follow me on instagram follow us on instagram um on twitter facebook all of that is cool in the wild i'd love to reach out we also have a youtube channel which is platt family fun school in the wild so um we'll talk real soon if you have any questions feel free to email me comments at danita platt p-l-a-t-t at gmail.com bye